Let's pray. Let's pray. God, you are indeed our living hope. We thank you that you have come and that you are present here. And so we ask that you would take these words of mine and speak through them to each of us that we might know deep in our own hearts and souls that you are indeed our living hope today, tomorrow, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my friends, here we are. Here we are in the afterglow of Christmas. Or maybe, maybe it's the aftermath of Christmas when I look around here. The whirlwind of Christmas has happened. And maybe in some of the younger homes, the children have maybe begun to settle down to some kind of normalcy. Or is it maybe that the sugar has begun to wear off? And maybe, maybe you're really at that point of uh, wanting to sit back and take a breath that it's now behind us. And then you begin to look around. And I ask you, is this the way your place looks this morning? I know when we got up, Carol said to me this morning, uh, maybe we should bring up those Christmas boxes and get ready to tear things apart this afternoon so the living room is loaded with Christmas boxes. Maybe you've got a worn-out Charlie Brown Christmas tree or the remains of beautiful Christmas wrapping laying around. Or maybe you had stockings that were by your fireplace somewhere and they're now laying around ready to be boxed away for next year. And today, or whatever day it is, the aftermath of Christmas begins. It seems that we, that we have spent weeks preparing, planning, decorating, running all over town, getting ready for the Christmas event. Hours spent picking out that special gift and wrapping it just so. And you bake. We cook, and we prepare our homes to celebrate the birthday of Jesus, striving to make it the very best Christmas celebration ever. And then it's all over. Christmas arrives. Beautifully wrapped Christmas presents are torn into in minutes. Food that took you hours to prepare is consumed in no time. And then the letdown begins. Now, maybe for some of you, today is probably going to be another day of, of festive leftovers. Maybe even the beginnings of cleaning up the house and packing the decorations away for another year, just as it's going to be in our home. So is that how your week, is that how this week ends for you? I've heard it said that nothing packs up and leaves town faster than the Christmas spirit. Just two days ago, if you caught the news, the local Woodstock Sentinel Review had an article with this headline, 
It's December 27th. Christmas is over. Well, once the hoopla of Christmas fades and when everything begins to return to normal and the wonder of the new baby in the manger starts to become a memory, I'm here to say to you this morning, Christmas is not over. Christmas isn't over. You see, according to the song, which I'm sure you all know, the 12 days of Christmas, we are just at day five. Does anybody know what the gift was for day five? Five golden rings. And day 12 ends with the coming of the wise men. And in some churches, we know it as the first day of Epiphany. And I looked on the calendar, and that date is January the 6th, 2020. So we're only at day five, my friends. The season of Christmas simply marks the beginning of what we read in the Gospel of John. John 1, verse 14, a familiar verse. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If the Christmas event is to have any lingering effect for our lives, why would God, why would God who created everything that is, choose to become a human being? Why would God choose to commit to living this human life in exactly the same way as the rest of us, to be born of a woman as a vulnerable, helpless child. Why? Throughout the whole of Scripture, I believe the great declaration of Christmas should be the theme that runs through the whole of God's upper story of which we looked at last year. But this upper story, John 3.16, we know the verses so well. John 3.16 and 17. Would you read it with me, please? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. here in the afterglow of Christmas. And before we rush off into the new year, let me suggest that today is an opportunity for each one of us to pause, to pause and reflect on the fact that the world into which our Savior came was and still is a world of deep darkness and pain. And many times our world seems less like the world God created all too often the Christmas season finds us a rather bewildered human race. Peace on earth and goodwill toward all sounds like hollow words. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to what I consider a very uncommon Christmas passage and one that I believe moves us beyond Luke's account about the birth of a baby in Bethlehem. 
and one that I believe shows us a bigger picture of the why, the why of Christmas. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Now, God did not subject the world, the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, but someone has testified somewhere, what are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little, you have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them. But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. And for this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I came across a parable of the Christmas story some time ago that I think might help to help us to understand the real meaning underlying this extraordinary event. In a world far away, there was a time when all the angels were gathered about the heavenly throne of God for a discussion. Things were in a real mess down on earth. <laughs> what else is new? The Creator had become terribly concerned about the state of His creation. Wars, fighting, famine, broken relationships, illness, and death. And the very ones God created to be the crowning glory of His creation had become estranged from each other and from God because of their willful disobedience and sin. Oh, I've tried everything, God complained. I have spoken them to them some of the most beautiful words that they could ever hope to hear. Think of the glorious psalms, the hymns, the poetic passages of Isaiah. Oh, they love to read about peace and goodwill, but they don't like to live it. God continued. Then I sent them the prophets, prophets like Isaiah. Oh, yes, they love Isaiah. The promises of relief, release from their sufferings, freedom from their exile. But do they follow the, the precepts of the prophets about justice and righteousness rolling down like waters? Never, never. Well, there was widespread discussion of the state, sad state of affairs on earth. And many of the angels, Gabriel, Michael, and others, had been on earth on many occasions. 
They had seen for themselves the sources of God's lament and shared God's concern. I think the only thing left is for one of you, a member of the heavenly court, to go down to earth, live with them, not just for a moment, but every day. Get to know them. Become one of them. Live with them and let them get to know you. Only then will heaven be truly communi communicated to them. Only then will they take notice of the great gap between the way they have been living and the way they were created. Only then will we be able to reveal to them who God created them to be. The angels stood around in awkward silence, looking at each other. Oh, they had been to earth before to deliver, to deliver messages from God or to effect some momentary intervention in human affairs. But they weren't about to volunteer for long-term duty in such a murderous, difficult place. The silence lasted for an eternity. And finally, God himself broke the silence. Quietly and determinedly, but without any sense of resignation and no bitterness, God said, then I will go. Into the afterglow of Christmas, into this state of fallenness and defeat, into our lostness and sin, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone in order that he might make us what we were always meant to be the crowning glory of God's creation. For years now, some of the best-loved Christmas carols sing about this event. Listen to some of the words that the author Charles Wesley wrote in his famous carol, which we have sung during this period of Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. You see, Christmas is much more than a baby lying in a manger. Christmas is that moment in time when the eternal God went beyond the extraordinary to the ordinary to show us his magnificent heavenly love, so that we, as we go about living our lives today and every day, 
that we might go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary. Oh, how odd of God that God would choose a vulnerable infant lying in a manger to be the entry point of God's coming to be with us. See, the baby in the manger is simply and yet very profoundly the outer expression of the inner heart of God for his creation. God loves each one of us without measure and was willing to share our lot with us and to stop at nothing, to stop at nothing, to enable every one of us to go beyond the ordinariness of this world to the extraordinary and to bring us home that we might be in relationship with God forever. Christmas, my friends, is no fairy tale. In the Bethlehem manger, we see Jesus, the exact imprint of God's very being, the reflection of the glory of God, the beginning and the end of our faith the God-man who became like us, an ordinary person of flesh and blood, sharing our ordinary humanity with all of its problems, difficulties, limitations, and struggles, and dying on a cross for our salvation, and there accomplishing for us what Adam failed to do. In the infant Jesus, God became what we are, that he might make us what God had envisioned from the very beginning of creation, that we would become the righteousness of God, reconciled to God forever. In the Bethlehem manger, we see Jesus, the answer to the longing of all races, all religions, all cultures, all times of history, because God became what we are. In one like us, God comes all the way down into the nitty-gritties of our human existence to stand alongside of us and to give himself wholly and completely and to summon us, to summon each one of us to himself precisely where we are and without excuse. So what's my point in saying all of this? Why all the fuss about Jesus? Well, everyone knows that God is love. Isn't that enough? But do we really know? Do we really know that God loves us? How would we know? How much does God love me this morning? How much does God love you this morning? In the manger of Bethlehem, we see Jesus, the sign of God's love and the measure of it as well. For this is the one Christmas gift that never wears out and never breaks down. It's the one gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving. In the Bethlehem manger, we see Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, human enough to love our enemies, human enough to forgive those who sin against us, 
human enough to do what's right, human enough to resist what's wrong in our world, human enough to make peace and to overcome injustice and to make our world a better place, and human enough to blaze the trail along which you and I are invited and summoned to venture this morning and into the new year. So my friends, who can add anything more to Christmas? The message of the gospel isn't one of fear and condemnation, but of love and of the great lengths that God has gone to reach out his hand to each one of us and to save us. As the Christmas carol says, to save us all, to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. You see, the, the perfect motive for the Christian event is that God so loved the world. And the perfect gift is that God gave his one and only son. And the only requirement, the only requirement is for you and I to believe in him. And the reward of our faith is that we shall have everlasting life. I'd like to invite the band to come back up and join me for the, the last few words that I have. So my friends, we are back, back to where we began. After all the celebration of that holy night, after the wrappings and the Christmas tree, after the angels and after the stable, after the child, and after the shepherds went back, as we always must, we go back, back to the world that doesn't understand our talk of angels and stars, and especially not the child, but we do go back, but we can still sing. Should I ever be abandoned? Should I ever be acclaimed? Should I ever be surrounded by the fire and the flame? There is a name. There is a name that I will remember. There's a name that I will proclaim. Let it be. Let it be my Jesus. Amen. going to invite us to a time of prayer. And as we begin our prayer, Robin is going to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And after she sings the chorus, then I would invite all of us to sing, and then I will have a closing prayer. Let's pray. Strangely dim 
show us the very heart of God. You have come to shower each of one of us with grace and with mercy. And God, as a church, we're called to live out the way of Jesus, of grace and love, of peace and justice and goodwill toward all. Not just here within the walls of this place. But as we leave, as we go back to this world that doesn't understand our talk of angels and stables and an infant child in a manger, let it be. Let it be that the only song we sing is about Jesus, that people will see in us a glimpse of that new creation of that new being. And God, we pray that as we go and as we leave this place and head towards a new year, that the world around us will even catch a glimpse, even just a glimpse, of the kingdom of heaven come on earth. God, may there be rejoicing around the throne of God when you look and see that there is a coming of the kingdom here in our world. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would bless each of us as we continue to enjoy the holiday season and empower us as we leave that we would go with that joy that the shepherds went back with, praising and glorifying God for all that they had seen and heard. May it be so, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.